Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and this is your host as we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Often this is the case when we uh, hear scientists uh, of the atheist persuasion, such as Richard Dawkins and, and Lawrence Krauss, uh, who will say that science and faith are incompatible. Uh, on the other hand, we also have, unfortunately, many Christians who say the same. But are science and faith incompatible, or can the two uh, correlate together? We have with us today uh, a scientist who is a Christian and a person who I have the honor uh, to be called their pastor. Uh, we have with us Amanda Lanier, who is the curator of education for Renota Gardens in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, under the, the direction of Wake Forest University. Amanda received her Master of Science degree in environmental education from Montreat College, and also received her Bachelor of Science in Environmental Science, uh, heavily uh, in, uh, in the realm of botany uh, from Cantaba uh, University. So it's a, a privilege and honor to have with us a good friend and a great woman of God, Miss Amanda Lanier. Amanda, thank you for being with us on the podcast today. Oh, Brian, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Um, this is a big um, passion of mine to talk about Well, as we always ask our first-time guests, and, and I hope this will be the first of many uh, times we have a podcast together, uh, would you, but as we do our first-time podcasters uh, or individuals on the show, uh, tell us how you first came to faith in Christ. Well, now, I've, I've heard about these love feasts that the Moravian Church has. How exactly does that work? Um, so usually um, the couples in the church um, serve. And um, for the Moravian Church, if, if you know anything about Moravian music, it all sounds the same. So anytime you get to sing different songs, it's great. So Christmas time <laughs> is a lot of fun because we get to sing all those Christmas hymns and um, the 
Christmas, the love feast is actually um, a breaking of bread of sorts. So we have um, a love feast bun, and we have coffee, and we sing songs, and then at the end we have a candlelight service. Um, and that's always pretty magnificent to see everyone. They turn off the lights, and everyone raises their candle um, up in the last hymn. And it's just, it wouldn't be Christmas to me without love feast. And so it's just a, um, a very special time and um, a really neat time as Moravian, but also still um, for me just, you know, in my family's celebration of Christmas. So. And we always eat good. Anything that involves food is, you know. Oh, absolutely. That well, too. <laughs> it, it, well, I know as far as Baptists go, anytime we have any function, we have to have food there. If it's if not, it's not really a function after all. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, uh, Amanda, if you would, you're the curator for of education for, for Renoda Gardens. You're also a botanist. Uh, if you would, explain to our listeners uh, your job as a scientist and, and what that entails. propagation and research and that sort of thing here, but most of what I do is education. Um, and as an educator, um, you'll know as a pastor, you, it's hard not to be an advocate necessarily. You have to kind of wear the hat of, um, of leader and educator, but what I get to do is to um, open up the natural world to people um, and teach them the names of plants and how the plant world works, um, how the natural world works. Um, and that goes for all ages. Um, we do a school-age program, which I'm responsible for. Um, we're a small staff. I'm actually the only one on staff that's not a true gardener. Um, but I do just about everything else in the gardens. Um, so I see about 2,000 kids a year. Um, wow. They come through the program, and they propagate plants. They um, we take walks in the woods. They learn about the trees that live here in North Carolina. They learn about the native wildlife and native ecosystems and how they all work together. Um, we also do an adult program, um, so we educate folks on, you know, different gardening practices and things like that, but also um, native plants and the importance of natives. Um, we teach them just, you know, things in their backyard as well. It's amazing to me how many adults don't know the names of birds and trees. Right. <laughs> and just some of the simpler things. But, um, and really making those connections. Um, and I think my goal is to um, really connect people because when you, when you learn and understand something, um, you generally care more about it. Um, and, of course, that's um, what we hope that people are doing is they're caring for um, their natural world, the, the creatures in it, and... Um, therefore caring for themselves. So um, it's a little bit about what I do. <laughs> All right, absolutely. Well, what do you say? I mean, you are a Christian and also a scientist. And and yeah. for some people, that would just make their head explode. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, really on both sides of the equation. Uh, and, and we want to approach this question from two different angles. What do you say to scientists who may be anti-faith? Uh, maybe you've encountered some or, or maybe you've seen some in uh, popular society. What would you say to scientists who say that one cannot blend faith with science? Well, it's, it's, it's a pretty amazing disconnect to me. Um, 
seeing it, actually. Um, I actually had a botany professor who was an atheist, and um, we had a conversation once about how can you see the intricacies of, um, of the plant world, even, um, and not believe that there's something greater out there that um, kind of composed it all. Um, but science, to me, is humans' feeble attempt of explaining mm. how the world works, explaining how um, God works. Um, and I think that it's, it's a really good thing for scientists to want people of faith to be participatory um, because they can really make a more of a heart connection. Um, and in environmental work, our work in caring for creation, um, it's extremely important to be partners because um, scientists maybe understand the science, but they don't have the motivation to care for the earth like Christians do. Right. Um, and that's, of course, you know, to me that was what God gave us to do first was take care of the garden. So um, I think that's extremely important. And so I think being partners is, is almost a natural thing, but I, I understand um, how scientists can say that they, that they don't blend. Um, and that's because of lots of years of, of disconnect um, for different reasons. But um, I think we, we started out being a lot more connected than we are today. So I think going back to those roots of um, connection maybe help us find a way to, to be better partners. Absolutely. I mean, in fact, if you if you go back in history, it was actually from the church that that science came forth, and, and you had guys like uh, um, you know uh, Newton, you know, and and others who who were very devout Christians and uh, who were scientists as well. So, you know, uh, I, I like the connection that you made there, and I think that's very appropriate. That, uh, that the two really go hand in hand. Now, now we look at this from one side of the equation. There are, there are individuals, atheists in the secular world, who say faith and, and science cannot go together, perhaps. And, and you mentioned, too, because of there being a history. And I think that's very important to address that throughout, especially in America, uh, through what the... Uh, Scopes monkey trial and things of that na- nature. Uh, obviously, the, the the history between science and faith has not always been a very pleasant one here in the United States. But you you have individuals from the secular side say the two cannot blend. But you also have individuals of faith who say, hey, you know those scientists they're 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 trying to they're trying to kill our faith. They're against <laughs> us. They're you know they're they're the antichrist or something like that. Yeah. What do you say, what do you say to people of faith uh, about the same issue about how faith and science go together? Well, I mean, from my just um, very short experience, um, it helps really have a greater understanding of the nature of God. I mean, the more we learn about the world that we live in, the more we learn about um, God's creation um, and what is you know. Even what we don't know, um, as Christians, we can believe that, well, you know, God has all of this in his hands and his power. Um, and the more I learn about, you know, how systems work, how ecosystems operate, how 
animals and plants seem to all get along. I wish we could say that about us humans. Um, this is a brilliant design. And the more that you get in depth to the, um, you know, even on the cellular level, these things were intimately um, connected. They are intricately designed. And it helps us understand just how awesome God is, really. Because um, no human could ever be responsible <laughs> right. um, for something like this. And so having faith, I think, increases the motivation you know, for me to know God even more intimately. Um, and, you know, knowing just how awesome he is, I'm, I'm amazed all the time. Um, I'll, I'll read something about how something worked, about how um, I've been reading lately about the bees and, the, you know, all the issues with um, bee colonies and us losing the honeybee and all the different things that they're going through, but they have a very particular way of, of living, and it's obvious that that was a brilliant design, and um, it just, it's, it's all inspiring, it's, it's, a, it's wonderful, um, and it just makes me feel um, even more closely connected with God, so to me it's always been a way that I was even to grow even more faithful. So it's always funny to me that the disconnect is there because the more I learn um, in the science field, the more I am connected to God and His work. And that's a wonderful way of, of looking at things, and, so, and it's really a beautiful way of, of, of putting it. And, and that's so true. I mean, you know, you take a look at the sciences. One thing for me is, you know, uh, the universe and just how amazing it is on a on a cold winter night to go out and look up and you see the armband of the milky way uh you know and and venus the moon and all these planetary bodies uh that's just so you know a lot of times you know, speaking for myself i think humanity you know that we feel that you know we're big and you know and we have things in control but when we look at the design, as you mentioned, on the on the planetary level and the vastness of the universe, it really brings us closer to, I think, the aspect of what you mentioned about the the, the amazing nature of God and uh, and and who God really is. Yeah, He's big and powerful, and you know, He thought of all these things. And <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it, it's still very amazing. Does um and this and this kind of goes along with what we've been talking about. Has has science ever benefited and contributed to your faith? Oh, definitely. Um, so a walk in the woods has no longer become a simple mindless task. Right. <laughs> um, when you start to know the names of plants and how they work and how their you know what their roles are in the environment. Um, evidence of animals, um, all those things, you become so much more observant. And so you, you see all of these relationships um, and this, you know, design system that God created. Um, and also, I mean, the people in the Bible, they knew about these things. They knew, Job talks about the water cycle. Mm. Um, it talks about, you know, it raining and going back into the clouds and going through the ocean, I mean, before science could really even put a name on it. Right. Um, Isaiah talks about the amount of water on the earth. 
how, you know, even though we probably only have, I don't know, like 3% fresh water available to us, um, God knew that that was plenty, and he designed this perfect system of um, cleaning the water and restoring the water and moving the water to the places on earth that it needed to be. And, um, you know, those things are, are, are biblical, even before science <laughs> Absolutely. Um, got a hold of them. <laughs> Absolutely. So these, yeah, so these intricate details um, to the particular niches and functions of the ecosystems, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, I always talk about Darwin's orchid, and I always bring up Darwin in this talk because he's um, definitely a controversial um, figure, but I think that what he was doing was really trying to understand in the beginning um, how the world worked, you know, and he, he started out his life as a Christian, but he hypothesized um, during his work about this orchid. He found this orchid in his travels, um, and it's called the Dar- Darwin's Orchid. It's a moth orchid, but it has a really long nectary. So that's um, the place where it stores nectar at the bottom. But what he hypothesized was that there would have to be something that pollinated it. Um, and this nectary is extremely long. It's like 10 to 12 inches long. And so can you imagine a butterfly or hummingbird or something having something 10 to 12 inches long um, that they could reach out and um, receive that nectar or collect that nectar seemed crazy. He had never seen a species like that. Um, unfortunately, it took hundred years later um, for them to discover the species, the moth that actually um, pollinates this plant um, and is able to, they stretch out this proboscis, that's like the big long tongue, um, and it's able to reach to the bottom of this nectary, but this is a very particular relationship. Only this flower can be um, pollinated by this moth. and so it's things like that that just continue to tell this wonderful story. Now you work work a lot with plants. Um, are, are there are there things that you've encountered? Uh, and, and I think you just mentioned something something you know in your previous comment. Are are there things that you see that that uh, are pointers of design of God's handiwork in in the in the cellular at the cellular level in in plant life in general? Oh sure, um, and how things change depending on their um, environmental conditions. Um, you know, we aren't able to adapt as humans as quickly as maybe plants can, um, and you know we're seeing this all the time. Um, plants that have moved their range or um, especially we work a lot with different birds we're on the birding trail here at Rinalda and so we have over 150 different species of birds that call Rinalda home um, at least at some point of the year and so seeing um, how they you know change with you know environmental conditions as far as like how much rain we get or um, the cold freeze, those sort of situations, how they kind of adapt to those changes. Um, it's very interesting. And they do a much better job than we do. Right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, we see things 
all the time, and um, they're very resourceful. Um, of course, there are, you know, species like this moth orchid that, you know, if we didn't have that moth, we may lose that particular orchid just because they are a, um, a very particular species. Um, and we have a lot of what we call keystone species that are important in that way, too, that they kind of hold um, the balance of the ecosystems together. Uh, but all of this, yes, it, it, it's all signs of God's brilliant design and flexibility in the design. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I'm going to kind of throw you a curveball here. Um, because, <laughs> because you, you mentioned something a while ago that, that has has my mind going in a certain direction about some of the challenges that uh, we face environmentally and the need for Christians to be um, responsible with, with the environment that God has given us. Uh, and so this is kind of a multifaceted question. It's really a two-part question. First of all, uh, the, the, I guess the first aspect of the question are what are some of the, the greatest challenges that we are facing uh, now in the environment. I know the the uh, we've we've discussed this off the record or off uh, before the podcast at church several times about the problems problems with a honeybee population. Uh, what what are some issues? Uh, and maybe you could give us an update on the on the honeybee situation. But what are some issues like that uh, that are some of the most troubling or some of the most pressing issues that we face in the environment today? heavenly-minded to be any earthly good. Wow. Um, <laughs> and so I think for, for Christians, I mean, I, I know that if we had um, the Christian population on board, um, really truly looking at God's creation and, and doing a better job of, of being stewards of it, I think some of these problems would be easily solved. Um, the honeybee issue is a multifaceted um, complex problem. Um, there's, they're extremely sensitive to um, different things in their environments. People, of course, are spraying pesticides um, to battle different things. Um, there's a story that came out recently about um, a huge loss of honeybees where they had sprayed for mosquitoes. And um, But these, the immune systems of honeybees are actually... Um, decreasing because of other things as well, because of um, problems with mites and things like that. Um, and some of the pesticides and stuff that we're using on our croplands, which are the same croplands that we hope to be pollinated by these bees, um, are, are, are not necessarily um, killing them, but they're weakening them, weakening them enough. Um, it's kind of like someone with pneumonia. Um, mm. So if they're walking around with pneumonia, something else happens, um, they're not going to be very good at fighting it off. Um, so they're just really struggling. And I think um, there's a lot of, you know, grassroots efforts to um, do personal honeybee, keeping bees um, personally. Um, but, I mean, they drive these bees around in tractor trailers to populate and pollinate our um, biggest crop plants, you know, because most of... Um, the commercial crop 
crops. They they don't have enough bees to um, pollinate them. So that's a that's a multifaceted issue, as it is with many other environmental issues. Um, our energy, I think, is a big one. Um, we've you know been using fossil fuels for quite a long time, and um, I know that there's you know plants and animals get their energy in other ways. So maybe. Um, some of that technology would be good for us humans to use because, um, you know, things like these huge pipelines, they, they divide wildlife habitat. Um, therefore, those animals that live in those areas have less of a range to um, cover, to get the food that they need, to um, find the homes that they need to raise their young as well as they do. Um, so there's that issue. And I think probably one of the biggest issues that we're going to face um, coming down the road is water and um, the availability of water um, for drinking. I mean, we saw um, in Flint, Michigan, there's all kinds of um, infrastructure issues, um, hundreds and hundreds of year old um, systems that are, are coming online to be to be fixed, and it's going to cost a lot of money. Um, but then also, um, not just the quality of water, but the quantity of water. Um, industry uses a lot of water, um, and so they also have to be held accountable for what they may pollute the water with, um, and that ends up costing us a lot of money to clean the water. And um, when we have you know, drought conditions and things like that, or our crops suffer, so it's that's a really <laughs> complicated issue as well. So those are a few. Um, now, do just, do desalination do desalination plants work? I've heard of some areas uh, using uh, some type of mechanism where they turn uh, salt water of the ocean into fresh water. Uh, it. it how exactly does that, or not how exactly does that work? Is that a means to help, or, or? Oh, yes, it is. I'm sorry, I don't mean to. Oh no, you're fine. Um, they, they use reverse osmosis, um, which is a process that actually um, removes the salt from the water, which is very effective. Um, it actually makes it extremely um, clean, able to drink. Um, the process is just very expensive, um, and so that's. I think where the the biggest um, you know hurdle to cross will be, and I know um, some of the some of the folks who have been affected by um, some of the oil drilling, fracking, um, as well as people um, involved in situations like what was in Flint, Michigan, um, they're trying to put those systems into place, and they're great. But yes, um, there are some full scale. Um, desalinization um, plants. Um, mostly they are in the Middle East, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, but they ha- do not have great access to water, um, kind of being in the middle of the desert. Right. Um, but they also have, um, their governments have the money to do that. Um, so it's, a, it's an infrastructure issue. It's a, you know, a change of let's put this money over here instead of over here <laughs> kind right. of thing. So, but ultimately that comes from, you know, the public support. Um, so I think 
more and more, and my job as an educator is just to put these facts out there um, and say, you know, let's look at both sides of the issue um, and what are the best solutions, you know, Absolutely. for the long run. That the most sustainable solutions, meaning um, that we can financially afford them, but we also need to be looking in the future because future generations are going to have to deal with these problems, and if we don't, you know, start doing those things now, then they'll be much worse. Absolutely. Well, as as a way of, believe it or not, we're, we're just about out of time. As, as a way of closing out our podcast, uh, we, we've spoken about the integration of science and faith, and we uh, just noted the uh, problems of the environment. As a way of closing, what are some... Uh, what are your thoughts pertaining to the Christian's involvement in in protecting and preserving the environment? What what would you say to that? You know, what is our role as Christians uh, to 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 uh, to step out and protect the environment? Uh, and what should our role be? Sure, um, I think sometimes for people it's very intimidating. Uh, they see these big issues and say, well, what can one person really do? Um, You know, what can I as a Christian do as one person? Um, But collectively, we have great power. Um, And actually, it's been said that if all Christians were to participate um, in, in better caring for creation, we could resolve most of our environmental problems. Wow. Um, you know, God gave us this earth and he created it um, in this very divine, perfect way. Um, and we haven't always treated it the best. Exactly. Um, but, but we can look, um, I'm trying to remember the, the passage, but, you know, look to the animals, look to the birds um, and know what they do. We can look at plants and know that they create their energy from solar energy. You know, what can we you know, invest in and, and educate ourselves about to know more about that. And I think, you know, for a person just, you know, to feel like they're doing something is, is to get involved with other people, um, doing community gardens, um, just making that connection with nature. Um, in my research, I looked at um, Christianity and how the worldview of Christians is all across the board. <laughs> yeah. um, so there's there's some of um, there's some of us that may not believe that um, you know. Well, we're eventually going to go to heaven, so what does it really matter how we treat the earth? Um, but we still have that mandate um, to care for the garden, to care for um, God's original creation. And so I think looking it back at all these systems and how things were originally designed, and maybe not being so, um, I guess, what should I say, um, treating them as God's gifts. Um, we treat, we should be treating water as God's gifts. We should be treating, um, the plants and the animals as God's gifts. So really, um, taking a look outside of ourselves, Mm. um, and seeing that God thought all these things were good as well. Um, so really for us, it's about just having the conversation and, you know, bringing knowledge to people and, and getting their hearts um, prepared 
shared, I think that's where Christians need to be. Um, it's more of a, because it is a heart issue. Um, and I believe if we feel like we're doing God's work, that we are taking care of His creation. Amen. Well said. <laughs> Amanda, I, I, this has been a wonderful conversation, and I, I hope to get you back on here very soon. We thank you so much for being with us on today's podcast, and let this be a reminder for all of us that we do need to take uh, very good care of our environment. Thank you so for mu- so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It was nice. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you back on here real soon. Again, we want to thank Amanda Lanier for coming on the podcast here at the Bellator Christie Podcast, and 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 um, you know, it, I, I was thinking about our conversation, and before I close the podcast today, I, I, I want to say, you know, I, I like what Amanda said. She said that a professor said that a lot of times Christians are so heavenly minded that they don't do a present work, and I think that's a very powerful statement. And I think it's and I think it's true, and I think it's true on on two spheres. You know, one, I do believe that we, as as Amanda has already mentioned, I believe that we have a responsibility as Christians to be environmentalists. Now, by this, I'm not saying, and neither I don't think Amanda would say either that this means that we are are tree huggers or <laughs> we make a radical leap that we you know necessarily live in huts and trees and uh or or you know completely abandon you know, all modern technology or anything of the sort but i do believe that we are called to to, to be good uh am, ambassadors not only of christ but of the environment itself uh i go back to genesis chapter 2 in uh, verse 5, when it says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, there was no, rain, no man to work the ground. Uh, and a mist was going up from the land, and watering the whole face of the earth. And the Lord God formed a man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of, the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Did you see the correlation between verse 5 and verse 7? There was no one to tend to the environment. There was no one to, uh, to, to maintain and help. Now, of course, God could do it. And, and obviously the natural, ob- uh, ob- obje- the natural objection <laughs> to this is that some people will say, we well, you know God can do anything. He doesn't need human beings to do anything. Well, that's true. But he created man kind for a purpose and one of the purposes for which he made us is that we would tend to the ground work the ground uh, take care of the creation that he has made and as Amanda noted you know we were talking uh, off the air human beings haven't always had a good track record of taking care of the environment and I think I do think it is important for us as Christians to to try to strive to look after this land that God has given us. Now, in the end, we know that eventually there's going to come a time where there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But again, that does not mean that we don't have a responsibility now. And we do. As Christians, we have a responsibility to take care of the land that God has given us. 
And I would also say in correlation to that, uh, that the same argument is made by people against evangelism. That we look so much to the end of what's going to take place, whether it be four supposed blood moons or uh, as as if that's going to be a sign of the end, which I've already mentioned on this podcast before, I I think there's very bad exposition going on uh, in that whole franchise of the four blood moons. Or some people will look at uh, when Christ is going to return. And all those things are important. Understand, I'm not saying that they're not. But what I am saying is that we can get so caught up on the end that we don't focus on the now. We have a responsibility to do, beloved. We have a responsibility to take the gospel into the world, to preserve the world the best we can, to be the hands and feet of Christ, to even be the mouthpiece of Christ as we preach and proclaim that eternal message that God has given us. And I think it's interesting that throughout the, uh, throughout the Bible, it, there's a depiction of eternity being like the garden that God first planted upon the earth. And it was in a garden that uh, humanity came to life And isn't it interesting, as we're talking about the environment, that uh, there is this issue with uh, a garden and how appropriate that is. Well, may we be good ambassadors of Christ, taking care of the environment that God has given us, not only for ourselves, but for future generations until the time comes when Christ does return. For Amanda Lanier, this is Brian Chilton saying God bless. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie podcast, and we'll see you back next week.
Whether you're up all night or up with the sun, whether you're a weekend warrior or an everyday hero, whether you hail from homeschool or old school, whether you're hands-free or hands-on, wherever you come from, wherever you're going, and for everything in between, Liberty University is the place for you. The nation's largest private nonprofit online educator.